I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. On hundreds of occasions, I have stood at an altar and asked couples to repeat after me these sacred words. I take you to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my faith. Often at those altars, it sends a shiver down my spine because of the enormous commitment those couples are making. They are embarking on a relationship, an adventure, so unique and special that St. Paul compared it to the relationship between Christ and his church. And as you know, lots of things can go wrong along the way. Because of our natural selfishness, it's sort of a miracle that any marriage is successful. But if with the help of God, a husband and wife get this relationship right, it will light a flame of joy in their hearts that nothing, perhaps not even death, can extinguish. My subject today is marriage, a divine institution. Our scriptural texts are Genesis 2, verses 18 and 24, and Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. From Genesis, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, we read, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. If there is one part of Scripture that most of us preachers try to stay away from, it is that chapter 5 of Ephesians where Paul gets into the relationship between husbands and wives. And we particularly try to stay away from verse 22 that tells wives to submit to their husbands. So why would I march into that minefield today? Several days ago, you got a, an email from the church saying that the topic of my sermon today would be anxiety. Well, that was incorrect. But it might describe my mood last week as I prepared uh, for this difficult and controversial area. Uh, why would I risk being tarred and feathered by the women's lib movement? The reason is, I believe America desperately needs to learn the truth from the Bible about marriage. This culture, so confused, mixed up, led astray, desperately needs to see Christians defend and model marriage the way God designed it. And God expects us to do that because America desperately needs it today. Some children have some strange ideas about marriage. Alan, age 10, said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff you do. If you like sports, she should like sports too. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Something tells me that boy got brainwashed by somebody. <laughs> Mary, age 10, had a different idea. She said, no person really decides who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before. And you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> I got a feeling Mary's Presbyterian and there's a dose of predestination in there. Lori eight years old, was asked what her mom and dad have in common. She said, both of them don't want no more kids. <laughs> Today in America, as you know, the institution of marriage is under attack from a lot of different quarters. The thinly veiled message of most TV programs is that marriage kills off real romance as surely as Roundup kills weeds. TV would have us believe that most married couples are frustrated and bored and about as romantic as a deodorant commercial. 
And Hollywood openly ridicules marriage. The pop star Madonna was asked about marriage, and she said, why would two intelligent people want to do that? Seven years ago, the Supreme Court issued a ruling on marriage that directly contradicts Holy Scripture. Uh, the court redefined marriage, changing it from the biblical definition of one man and one woman to a relationship of two consenting adults. We Christians are obligated to respect the rulings of the court. They are the law of the land. But when a ruling of the court contradicts Holy Scripture, we are not obligated to agree with it. We have a higher loyalty, and that's to God's holy word. In this secular culture, we Christians must defend the institution of marriage as God defined it. And my purpose today is to help us understand marriage better and live it out more faithfully in this confused, mixed-up culture. Here is the first biblical truth about marriage. Marriage was God's idea. It wasn't thought up by some government. No, God's idea. Eve was in the mind of God long before she was in the arms of Adam. God introduced Adam and Eve to each other. In fact, you could say he officiated at the wedding ceremony such as it was. And then God defined marriage saying, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And that exact definition of marriage is repeated three other times in Holy Scripture, Old and New Testament, and Jesus quoted those exact words. Now, the first need that marriage satisfied was not sex, even though we have every reason to believe that Adam and Eve had a healthy sexual relationship. No, the first need marriage met was loneliness. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam needed a soulmate, and God gave him Eve. Every great marriage has as its core a deep, deep friendship wrapped in love for God and love for each other. The Bible describes husband and wife as one flesh, and that means more than, than physical sexual union. It, it refers to a profound merger of mind, body, spirit. And indeed, St. Paul taught us that marriage is a unique interpersonal relationship whose only parallel is the relationship of Christ and his church. Some years ago, I was on an airplane flight and I happened to be seated by an older woman named Jean. And when she found out I was a pastor, she... Uh, told me her story. Uh, she told me that one year earlier, her uh, husband had died very suddenly, aneurysm. Uh, she told me that this had been a second marriage for both of them. Both of them had had long and happy first marriages. Then their spouses had died, so he was a widower, she was a widow. They met on a tour to Europe. Um, she said that one morning they happened to come to the breakfast buffet at the same time. And he said to her, if you're not with someone, I would be delighted if you would share breakfast with me. And she said, 
It was love at first sight. She said we were both lonely for several years. We both had been living alone. He in an apartment in New York, and I was in a big house in Memphis. Within two months of that cruise, we were married. She said that was six years ago. And she said, we had five wonderful years together. He was Roman Catholic. I was Episcopalian. Uh, I would go to Mass with him on Saturday. He would go to church with me on Sunday. I was in the altar guild. They made him an honorary member of the altar guild. She said, we had five wonderful years. And then she was silent for a few moments, and I thought I saw tears in her eyes. And she said then, oh, how I wish we could have had 20 years together instead of just five. But I wouldn't give anything in the world for those five. Friends, that's the way marriage was designed to be. And it was God's design, his idea. Here's the second truth about marriage from the Bible. Husbands and wives are partners but not duplicates. Partners, but not duplicates. Now, according to the Bible, the Lord took one of Adam's ribs to make Eve. And, and the theologian, Matthew Henry, said that that signifies that Adam and Eve are to have an alongside relationship. She was not taken from his head to rule over him, nor from his feet to be trampled on by him. She was taken from a rib signifying alongside. And I might add to that, this observation, you know, Adam had more than one rib. He could have given Adam five wives. He didn't. God in his wisdom said, one's enough. One's enough. And if there's one consistent lesson in the Old Testament, every time some man took more than one wife, he got into deep, deep trouble. Eve is described as a helper, but that word does not imply subordination. In fact, that word occurs 21 times in the Old Testament, and on 15 of those occasions, it refers to God. And certainly God is no subordinate. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 21, St. Paul gives a command to the entire church, and certainly that includes husbands and wives. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Only after Paul calls husbands and wives and the whole congregation to mutual submission, only then does he call wives to a, another submission. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, you wives, before you object to that, I want you to note the command St. Paul gives to husbands. That's down in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whoa. St. Paul is, is only asking wives to submit to their husband's leadership. He's asking husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and be willing to die for them. Seems to me that the husband's got the tougher task there. The last time I got ready to preach on this text, I decided I needed some wise female counsel. And so I went to Sarah, a member of our church, middle-aged uh, woman, happily married, a professional woman, 
noted for her intelligence and her thorough knowledge of the Bible. And I said, Sarah, St. Paul says here for wives to be subject to their husbands, does that offend you? Sarah said, no. She said, if my husband will love me as Christ loved the church and be willing to die for me, I'll be glad to accept all the leadership he wants to offer. Submitting to a husband's leadership does not mean he's a dictator. In a healthy, Christ-centered marriage, all decisions of significance are made after mutual discussion and agreement. But St. Paul does tell us that a husband has certain special leadership tasks. One of the husband's jobs relates to the security of the home. This is just common sense. If husbands and wives are asleep at 2 a.m. in the morning and suddenly they're awakened because an intruder is breaking into the house, that is not the time for a discussion between husband and wife on which one of us should take charge. Normally, husbands are bigger and stronger than wives, and they should jump up. Now, in those exceptional cases where the wife is bigger and stronger than the husband, my message to her is, you go, girl. You get out of that bed and get... <laughs> but normally, but normally, normally that is part of a husband's responsibility. Another part of a husband's leadership is financial provision for the family. Although we know that in many cases today, the wife's paycheck is bigger than the husband's. Nevertheless... Uh, the husband has a responsibility to make sure that the financial needs of the family are met. St. Paul made that quite emphatic. He wrote, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But the most important part of a husband's leadership responsibility is spiritual leadership. And St. Paul stated this clearly. He wrote, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you what I've learned across the years. If a husband will step up and be the spiritual leader of the home, something deep, deep, deep in a wife's heart is comforted. I mean to tell you, if he'll be the spiritual leader of a home, her heart will glow with gratitude and the children will be blessed. But on the other hand, if that husband is not willing to step up and be the spiritual leader in church attendance, in Bible reading, in prayer, the surveys tell us that most of the children, especially the boys, will follow the father's bad example instead of the mother's example even if she sets a wonderful one. So, if a husband is supposed to be the loving leader, the wife is the leading lover because women have certain God-given, nurturing, caring, loving abilities that very few husbands could come anywhere near. And therefore, a husband is very wise to defer to the wife in child, most child-rearing matters, especially when the children are young. A wife is and will always be 
the heart of the home. You've heard the old saying, if mama is not happy, nobody is happy. And not only is that true, it's almost Bible. But other than those special areas of leadership that I have mapped out for you between husbands and wives, the general rule otherwise is husbands and wives ought to work like a good team. In other words, do what you're good at. If the husband is a better cook, let him cook. If the wife is better at paying the bills and keeping up with the finances, let her be the chief financial officer of the home. I know of one happily married couple who admit that the husband would buy everything in sight if his wife were not around to restrain him. Husbands and wives are partners, not duplicates. Celebrate the difference. And that brings me to the third truth from the Bible about marriage. Marriage is designed to last forever. And in Genesis 2 verse 24, both in the King James Version and Revised Standard Version, the, the man is, said, is told to leave your father and mother and the word is cleave, cleave unto your wife. And if you go back to the root of that word cleave, it means to be glued together as a lock and key or one mechanism, as a violin and bow or one musical instrument. Husband and wife are one. And when a husband and wife are truly one flesh, it's almost impossible to tell where the individuality ends and the mutuality begins. Now, in America today, too many of our citizens have turned the sacred covenant of marriage into a contract of convenience. And the United States has the highest divorce rate of all Western countries. Almost 40% of all first marriages end in divorce. And to our everlasting shame, the divorce rate for churched people is not, not much better than for the unchurched. And when one considers the awful damage that divorce does to children, it is no wonder that the Bible has God saying, I hate divorce. I'm still haunted by a, a crumpled note that a little eight-year-old girl in one of my former churches slipped into my hand one Sunday. And the note said, I wish my mom and dad would stop fighting. Please, God, help. Now, my purpose this morning is not to put a guilt trip on divorced people. I think we all know that there are some divorces that are not preventable. And indeed, in cases where there's clear and flagrant abuse or repeated infidelity, there is no way that I in good conscience could urge someone to stay in a relationship like that. But the truth of the matter is that 98% of divorces in America are not caused by those awful conditions. They're not. Most divorces in America are caused by sins of omission rather than commission. The thing that happens is that couples get careless and take each other for granted. They neglect extending the little everyday thoughtful, loving, 
courtesies that were so easy during the first year or two of marriage. And then a distance begins to set in between them. And then unresolved problems and disagreements get piled up. And before long, one or both in the couple say, ah, the gap is too great to bridge. We got to head for the divorce exit. And I'm appealing right now to couples who are within the sound of my voice who may be in troubled relationships. Relationships not related now to abuse or infidelity, but troubled. Please, please, don't head to the divorce exit. Please, for God's sake, uh, for your own sake, for your spouse's sake, for the children's sake, don't. Listen to some facts about divorce in America. People who divorce and remarry often find no greater happiness than they had before. And in fact, the divorce rate for second marriages is higher than for first ones. And note this, 96% of unhappy married couples who stay together report that five years later they're happier than they were before. Now, there are some couples who need counseling therapy and no husband or wife should ever refuse if his or her partner requests it. And it's been my experience across the years that husbands are more likely to say no to counseling than our wives. And that is so sad and tragic. Listen to me, husbands. Don't ever say no if your wife says that we need to go to a marriage counselor. Just make sure the counselor is a Christian. But don't ever say no. You owe it to her. You owe it to the children. You owe it to the God before whom you said those marriage vows. Now, not all couples need marriage counsel, but I want to recommend something, an activity that will enrich all couples, all of them. It'll only take 10 minutes, folks, 10 minutes now. I steal a motto from Coca-Cola and call it the pause that refreshes. This is it, folks. 10 minutes before you go to bed, Make sure the TV gets turned off and the cell phone's turned off for just 10 minutes. And read a daily devotional message from a devotional booklet. One of the ones that's very familiar to Methodists is the upper room. And there are free copies of this at the desk out front for you to pick up one. Read the daily devotional from the booklet and then pray. Now, one of you can pray or both of you can pray, and it doesn't have to be a long prayer. And after you do that, you kiss each other and say, I love you. Now, is that hard or what? A, a simple devotional message, a prayer, and then a kiss, and I love you. Not only is it a pause that refreshes, let me tell you, it could save many a marriage, and it would enrich all of them. Uh, my wife and I have been using a resource uh, entitled Jesus Always by Sarah Young. But it doesn't matter which devotional resource you use as long as it's focused on Scripture. The late, great Peter Marshall wrote this, No problem which any married couple have is beyond solution 
if they're willing to get down on their knees together and ask God what to do about it. It's not a question of what the husband wants or what the wife wants, but always, what does God want? You know, almost every husband, deep in his soul, wants to be his wife's hero, her knight in shining armor, her rock of Gibraltar. And if she treats him as if he is, that goes a long way for him becoming just that. And every wife wants a husband who looks at her with eyes that say, you are indescribably precious to me. I would sacrifice anything, even my career, for your good. You are the sunshine of my life. You are my best friend, my lover, my soulmate. One of the great love stories of modern times actually happened. And believe it or not, it was between two Hollywood actors, Christopher Reeve and his wife Dana. You'll remember Christopher Reeve. He was the ultimate Superman on the big screen. Nobody could portray Superman like Christopher Reeve. But then in 1995, he was riding a horse one day and was thrown and in the accident, he broke his neck. He was paralyzed from the shoulders down and was on a ventilator for the rest of his life. Soon after the accident, while he was in hospital in critical condition, Christopher Reeve said to Dana, maybe we should just let me go. And she looked him straight in the eyes and she said, no. I'm in it with you for the long haul, no matter what. You are still you and I am still me. And I love you. Later, when Christopher Reeve dictated his autobiography, he said, Dana's words saved my life. In 2004, Christopher Reeve died, and Dana died two years later. Just imagine the kind of shared joy they are experiencing in heaven. That's the way God designed marriage to be, for better or for worse. So let's honor it, celebrate it, share it, and thank God for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.